So how many ways can a Canadian lad just say to people listening, watching, whether it's in Canada, the States, Britain, Italy, Sweden, the Philippines, wherever, how does a Canadian lad just say, hey, thank you, I really appreciate you? I think I just did it. There it is. Thank you, and I appreciate you being where you are right now. And whether you're using Apple or Spotify, it does not matter to me. All that matters to me is that we're connecting. So one of the best people in this country at connecting, at communicating, sometimes enraging and inflaming because, say, that's just an occupational hazard. When you're a damn good communicator and you're speaking from the head and the heart and those two organs are actually connected every now and then, some of the truths that you're espousing can inflame and enrage. His name is Dean Blundell. Proud to be partnered with him. From time to time on his podcast, on my podcast, his company, my company. Dean Blundell, welcome to the Charles Adler Show. Oh, Mr. Adler, thank you very much for having me. It's great to see you, dude. Always good to be with you. Uh, it's like, a, you know, you're like a warm hug for all of Canada. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what I love so, about you. So here, here's what Huggy Bear has today. Yeah. I want to concede that regardless of how I may feel about uh, Polyev, regardless mm-hmm. of how, how you may feel, I want to park my feelings about him mm-hmm. where they belong, okay? Right now, they belong in the big blue box, okay? Because I don't think that any of what we're about to discuss is really about him. What I want to discuss is our country mm-hmm. and the mood in our country in general. My contention is, when I look at these polls, when, when I see a, a Nano's poll that says that that Polyev is, is so ahead of the liberals that the Liberals are barely in double digits in seats in Ontario. Now, Ontario's got well over 100 seats. If the Liberals are having trouble getting a fifth of those seats, it's game over. And it's not because I want to be Mr. Ontario. Yes, I lived in Ontario for a number of years, but I'm just a logic guy. Hmm. In the end, everything is about logic. Everything's about math. Hmm. If the Conservatives are absolutely squashing the Liberals in Ontario, absolutely squashing them in Atlantic Canada. The Liberals aren't even in double digits in British Columbia. It's it's over. It's Mm -hmm. over. So I want to not focus on how poor the Liberals are doing and what they're saying and not saying, what the Conservatives are saying and not saying. I want to focus on the country Mm -hmm. because the only way that any party right now gets an overwhelming majority a landslide, which is what Nanos and others are saying. Nanos, Abacus, doesn't matter to me which poll street you're going to. All of them are saying that. If there was an election today, it would be a landslide for the conservatives. They would have a whopping majority, okay? Mm-hmm. That cannot happen unless a nation is sour, mm-hmm. unless a nation is owly, unless a nation is angry and even possibly outraged. So, Dean Blundell, are you feeling that? Uh, I think by proxy, yes. You know, I think, you know, being in the content game as we are um, at Cryer Media, being in the content podcast game as we are, you know, you you, you don't just notice things, you feel things because you're in it all the time. Um, you know, and, and it's not that I'm sour as much as I'm tired, right? I think we have, um, we've got a couple things going on in this country that concern me. Well, actually more than a couple things that are going on in this country that concern me. And, and I think the really concerning thing for me is, is that I understand something very simple. It's the dichotomy of control, what we control, and what we do not. And I'm watching an entire country rage over things that they just simply cannot control, that they have been told that they can. 
in many different capacities, right? Whether it's, you know, the war in Gaza, whether it's the war in Ukraine, whether it's, you know, domestic issues here, policies, laws, the things that 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 traditionally, you know, we, we used to raise a stink about and we used to read about and then just sort of kind of float away and understand that, hey, this is left to better people. Well, everybody is somehow of the opinion, you know, if they can get into the right Facebook group, if they can get the right information, right community, you know, they're going to be able to make some kind of magical difference. And so, you know, when that difference doesn't happen, that's concerning because what it is, is everybody's told that this is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. Warriors for this. We're here for that. So that's one thing that 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 I feel from people. The other thing that I feel from people, which is very interesting, and, and it's and it's 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 a cross section. It's not something I've ever experienced before, and I, I I would love your opinion on it. Is you know, it's almost like we have decided to trade our values for rage. It's almost like we've decided to say, hey, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to throw everything out. I'm going to uh, and I'm going to first principle this anger. And I'm going to direct it at the people that I live with, my neighbors who I used to go to community centers with, people that we used to have dinner parties with. And I'm seeing really the erosion of friendship and relationships over things that we are told that we have to be active in, things that we have to control. And there's this new Polaris study. I don't know if you saw it the other day. And it literally kind of talks about what you're talking about, Chuck, which is like, how angry is Canada? And I'm just going to put up a slide for you today. So I'm glad that you brought this up. Um, the index of the angriest, the rage index across Canada. Um, Atlantic Canada, 58% of people are angry about six topics. And I'll get to those topics in a second. This is just take this for what it is. Quebec, not as angry as the rest of the country for some reason. 50 yeah, no, and it's interesting. I don't mean to interrupt, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Quebec is not as angry, but 50%, 50% are angry. And we're going, well, you know what? Not as angry as the rest, because in, in places like Ontario and, and Alberta, it's 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 sixty percent or better. Yeah. But when you think about that, okay, so let's take Ontario, which has the most important math when it comes to elections. All right. So sixty sure. percent. That's six out of ten. Yeah. That is three out of five. Are apoplectic. Ima yeah. yeah. So Im imagine yeah. imagine living in a society. And you may be one of those three, where three out of every five people are are raging. How can you not understand, regardless of how you feel about various politicians, how can you not understand that that, that, that environment, three out of five are raging? Hmm. That environment, absolutely, it doesn't just beckon change. Hmm. It guarantees change. Well, sure it does. And, and, you know, you see where the efforts are put into, you know, providing people information to be angry about, whether it is, you know, on social media, whether it is in certain newspapers and publications, depending on the publication that you read, people are told that they literally have to be angry about X, Y, or Z. And then people are angry about X, Y, or Z. Social media adds flames to that fire as well, because People have been biohacked and brain hacked to go, yeah, I'm angry about this. And the algorithms will push anger and they'll do what they do. But these two provinces that are the angriest in Canada, Ontario, 60 percent, Alberta, 63 percent, are literally the focus of, in my opinion, from what I've seen and read. And I mean, you're part of that uh, understanding as well. It, 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 this is where all the effort is going into trying to convince everybody that they are angry. Yeah, I mean, a lot of anger money has been poured. Rage money has been poured into those those centers. And, and I'll tell you something, 
you know, if you're on the right or if you're on the left, that's great. Good. I hope you never, I hope to never identify with an ideology on my right or my left or all that stuff. But if, but if you are susceptible, if you are susceptible to that information, and if you are okay with being told that you should be angry, then you need to understand that this is exactly what that political arena wants you to think. They want you to think you're angry. They want you to think you can control things with your voice. And if you just tweet this or if you just do that, then you have an opportunity to affect change for us. And so it's truly, truly amazing to me that we have this 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 country that is and, and I listen, I blame Facebook. I blame social media. I also use Facebook and social media. Right. And we feed into that algorithm, as you said, off the top, because it's part of the deal. But we try to be responsible and accountable about those things to explain to people where that information comes from. And it just doesn't matter anymore. And that's you know, the, that's the part that scares me. I want to get back to the chart and uh, what specifically people are angry about. But not before I, I, I just say this to my uh, my friend, my colleague, my partner, my brother, Dean Blundell. You said something earlier that I think is uh, worth gold. You talked about how friends in, in recent years, and that includes members of families, are no longer speaking to each other. I'll never forget how I felt uh, during the COVID epidemic. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic where we were told by public health officials that we would have to get used to the idea of social distancing. And it wasn't just adults. It included kids as well. And it included members of families. And it got to the point where people were also told that, yeah, Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner is coming up. You might not want to invite grandma this year. Mm. Now I'm thinking about people whose grandmas, it might have been their last Christmas. Mm -hmm. might have been their last Thanksgiving. Because they were, uh, as golfers like to say, older folks, especially in their 80s and 90s, they're on the back nine. Mm. They may be on the final hole. Yeah. Now you're told by the smart folks, the doctors and the scientists, that, um, well, grandma's immune. Grandma's immunity system's not as good as yours. Yeah. And uh, your kid's a little a little germ bag. Your kid's bringing home germs from other kids, from schools, from whatever, because kids have a great immune system. And they're holding on to those germs, and, and grandma's got a terrible immune system. And, uh, you know, five-year-old Tommy is going to kill 85-year-old grandma. And I'm not making any of this stuff up. I mean, I know that some of us have amnesia, but this wasn't all that long ago. And I think the idea that we were forced to accept the idea of distancing ourselves from our friends and our neighbors and our families based on, on age, based on immune systems, based on the fact that we were up against this virus that was scaring the hell out of us because every single day people were dying. Not only were people dying, we couldn't even attend the funerals. Mm -hmm. So this was a surreal thing. This was like the worst sci-fi movie that we ever experienced, but it wasn't a movie. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line of all bottom lines is once people get used to the idea that distancing themselves from people they love is not necessarily a good thing, but it's the correct thing, all kinds of other stuff is acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so now we've gone from distancing each other, distancing ourselves from each other because of, because of COVID yeah. to distancing ourselves from others because of our ideas, because of what we believe and don't believe. This too started with COVID. Number of people became very anti-vax. 
a number of other people reacted to the anti-vax by becoming anti those humans who were anti-vax. And yes, that included members of our family and our neighbors and our friends. Then along came the convoy on the back of all this anti-vax stuff. And they said, we're not anti-vax for anti-vax mandate. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That's just, that's just rhetoric at that point. Mm -hmm. We have been getting used to the idea for the last number of years of not speaking to others, socially distancing ourselves from others who we disagree with. Here's mm -hmm. the problem. It's impossible for those of us who are human and we are not islands, we are not hermits, we're not unibombers, we're just human beings. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host, Roland Tanner, and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. You know, I earlier started the show by talking about we're just Canadian lads talking to each other and talking to the rest of the world. Well, we who are human and absolutely require social interaction, otherwise a, a, a piece of our brain and a piece of our heart goes numb. We have been numbing ourselves down and dumbing ourselves down ever since the pandemic, some people say earlier. But the pandemic is what really forced my eyes to become open. And that's why I say to you, Dean Blundell, that you're absolutely right to connect the distancing from our friends and families to the anger. I need my friends in my life. I need you in my life. I need my grandmother in my life. And if she's not in my life, because I'm told that she's not healthy for me, mm -hmm. something happens. And something happened to millions of Canadians. And that's why fundamentally, I think very often, we waste our time focusing on each individual Trudeau follicle and each individual Pierre Polyev law, because the entire country still hasn't recovered from the notion that we're not supposed to talk to each other if we disagree with each other. Mm, I, you know, it's such a such an incredible zoomed out piece of insight. You know, when we think about where we've been for the past three, almost four years, right? And it'll be four years coming up in started in 2020 when we first got the news that we weren't allowed to be around people, weren't allowed to go to parks, uh, weren't allowed to go shopping, weren't allowed to, as you point out, some of the saddest stuff. And I get, I get that people will never forgive the medical establishment. I get that people will never forgive what they think is you know, government involvement in, in what funerals they get to attend and who's allowed to show up for Thanksgiving. And, you know, in Ontario, we had these snitch lines for people that if you got together with your 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 friends and family in your house for a quick mixer, uh, you were allowed to call a snitch line and someone from public health or maybe the cops would show up and they'd ticket everybody in your house for loving your friends and family, you know, and all those things never sat well. I thought I don't think with any Canadian, any Canadian that that loves your family, any Canadian who 
has a sense of civic responsibility, uh, was torn apart during that time, right? And you don't know where to focus your anger. And so what we do as people and what I did, and I think what everybody else did, you do one of two things. You either, you know, express yourself outwardly or you go inside. And some people did both. And they went inside, they got on their phones, and they started blaming everybody else for what it was they were going through. And there's nothing more disenfranchising as a human being than being told you can't do something and 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 not and wondering why and asking for answers and never getting really any of those answers. But you know, we watched as certain news outlets, certain political parties, lobby groups lined up behind whatever self-interest they had according to what they could use that that rage for to gain personally. And the thing that really, really bothers me today, right, is as someone who doesn't identify as right or left, someone who rarely uses words like conservative or liberal, because those things don't matter to me, is the lack of empathy um, on, on behalf of the agencies who literally took away the agency of Canadians for a two to three year period and told them that it was for the greater good. Whether or not it was about a lockdown or getting vaccinated or not getting vaccinated, and I, I hate getting into those conversations uh, because we had to live in those conversations so so angrily for such a long period of time that we became these um, we became these lemmings on behalf of whatever narrative, whatever person, whatever thing, and we sort of forgot about all the stuff that made us Canadians. We sort of forgot about all those things that made us who we are today which was a community of individuals who accepted everybody for where they were from, by and large, where they were from, who they were, into our communities, into your churches, into your community centers. You know, we, we, we just decided that, that we couldn't handle it. Some of us decided that we would outwardly rage towards that. And we are literally seeing the fruits of all of the efforts that any institution that decided to use that distancing, as you say, or decided to use their interpretation of what was going on medically, socially, emotionally for their own advantages. And, and you know, it's, it's wild because you can literally have a conversation. I've had several conversations. Listen, my significant other is from a totally different uh, place. She's, uh, we have very, very different um, ideologies. We've got different understandings about, you know, what it is that, that, that we think is going on in the world. And there are subjects we don't talk about and it's not because we don't want to talk about them, but it's because we understand the need to be with each other. We understand that need. And so we shelve some things that a lot of people don't shelve anymore. A lot of people use as ammunition. And, and it opened up my eyes over the past, you know, I would say year as to, you know, what have I been doing? What have we been doing? What have we been fomenting? Who have we been helping and who have we been fighting for? And why are we not fighting for the people that we love in those relationships? Why are we not trying to, you know, back up a little bit as opposed to go forward? And when I say back up, I mean, back up into what we used to be and who we are. You know, like I used to have friends, Chuck, and you, and you, you did too. You know, you'd show up to a party. I used to have friends. <laughs> I need to finish you just, that sentence. You, you just, you, listen, you, you, you've just put yourself right into the heart of the conversation. <laughs> We never used to say things like, I used to have friends. I used to have That's like friends. saying, I, I used to have arms. You know? Why, were you I in a war? I used to be cool. Did yeah, you, yeah, did, yeah. You, did, 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 did some terrorist blow your arms off? Did some no. terrorist blow up your friends? What happened? No, I, I used to have, I used to have, we all did, groups of friends where you'd get together in a garage or you'd show up to a party and you'd show up to a dinner, right? 
and you'd have eight guys there and there'd always be, you know, crazy Jimmy or conspiracy Lou, but you loved each other, right? You're like these, this is my crew. This is my group. You're that never, guy thinks you're the never earth left, is flat. You never left one of those mixers saying, <laughs> I'm never talking to that conspiracy bastard no. again. Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's what people say now. And they, and they text each other. Yeah. Can, can can we make sure that Bill doesn't know where we're meeting next week? Because <laughs> I don't ever want to see Bill again. Yeah. And we've never had those kinds of conversations. Never. never. We, we grew up with people who went for an entire lifetime mm-hmm. inviting people over to their place that they didn't even like very much. But, hey, he's just part of the crew. It's no yeah. big deal. Part of the fabric how, of this. Because that's how free people behave, okay? Mm-hmm. And we felt like the freest people on earth until. Yeah. Yeah, until Jack it all happened. Pandemic knocks on the door, and our freedoms are taken away. And I don't mean to sound like Mister Convoy, but if I'm if I'm not free to be unvaxxed, if I'm not free to have as many people over at my Thanksgiving bash as I want, if I'm not free to send my own kids to school, obviously at that point I'm feeling like yes, yeah, some of my freedoms are being taken away. I don't need to be driving a truck and honking all night, keeping up the the dogs and the hamsters and the babies and the old people. I don't need to be doing that kind of nonsense. To understand that, yeah, I don't have as much freedom right now during the pandemic as I did. And, you know, it's interesting. The Americans always talk about how the Civil War is something they never got over. The Civil War was fought over some very, very serious issues like slavery. Okay, that was one of the issues that was the central issue. But the point is that somebody had to win and somebody had to lose. And many people had to die for that Civil War to end. And guess what? The aftermath is it never ended. Even though the country was divided before the Civil War, it became even more divided after the Civil War. And here it is 100 years later, and it's obvious when you study America that it is still very divided along many of the same lines that the Civil War divided America, North and South. I'm not suggesting that we had a Civil War and we had that kind of lethality, but it isn't the point. You don't have to have the extremes of a U.S. Civil War to understand that in this country, depending on which region we lived in, depending on who we were and what we were doing, whether we were working for the government or working for ourselves, there were many issues that separated us and ended up separating our feelings about politics as well. And we haven't gotten over it. And I will not suggest on this show or next week's show or the week after that, that we're over it. This is going to take a, a long time. It's going to take a long time to heal. We are not healed right now. And to make matters worse, many of us are in denial about the fact that we're sick. How do you look a fellow Canadian in the eye, whether he's a good friend or not? How do you look that person in the eye and say, honey, we're sick? Yeah. But we are. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, and you know what? Those are, those are, those are uh, pression points for where we're going as a society, right? Where... You know, uh, like you go back to the friend group where you've got, you know, those those crazy Jimmy or conspiracy Bobby and flat earth Frank. And they were just part of the fabric and the wallpaper of your life. And now, you know, those people, as you point out, if they're on a mailing list, we're like, okay, if he's not going to leave, he's going to the party. I'm not going to the party. I don't want to be anywhere near him. And I think that speaks to a couple of things. I think it speaks to the idea that, you know, everybody is just so angry. We literally can't handle certain conversations. Right. Like it's just we've been. We've been told that we have to take a side. We've been told that this is how we said. And, and that has been Canada's digital civil war, in my opinion. You know, and, the, and it started with, 
um, wherever it started several years ago, whether it was the pandemic, um, you could see kind of the rage baiting. But the thing that really is interesting to me is how rich certain people have gotten during the pandemic and how poor people have, have gotten during the pandemic. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was an economist at uh, the University of Calgary a while ago. And we were having a, just a conversation about, you know, the distribution of wealth during the last three years and how the top 1% has gotten so much wealthier, so much more influential. They, they can literally push around their agendas. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, this party, that party, left or right. I'm not. I'm talking about the wealth gap that, that is in this country and who's benefited from it and how they've become quiet. and They have put their efforts into literally forcing Canadians to fight this this culture war when we should be fighting a class war. We should. And, and, and you know what? Every Canadian, 98 percent of us are on that side of the ledger. Ninety eight percent of us are on the same side. Yeah. And and there's this idea that that doesn't matter, that the well-being of people doesn't matter. Six out of 10 Torontonians or people in the in the GTA. I read this yesterday of access to food bank this year. Um, those things well, are I'll, important. I'll, do me do me a, a huge favor. Yeah. R- repeat that, because once again, uh, you're bringing something up that is so central to telling us just how divided we are. What, what's the percentage of people in the greater Toronto area? Once again, that's the most politically potent because of the math, most politically yeah. potent area in, in Canada. How many people are needing to use food banks? Six out of 10 people have accessed um, some kind of free food service, whether it be food banks, whether it be um, any kind of uh, soup kitchen, something like that. I mean, you, you know, we had this idea that soup kitchens were for, for vagrants. They're not. They're for families. They're for families that can't even make ends meet. Uh, they're for people whose rent has quadrupled over the past couple of years. And I'm not going to point blame at anybody. That is regional. That is speculation. That is industry. That is what certain governments and certain provinces do. But six uh, out of I, ten, any way you look at it, you, yeah. it's impossible to look at six out of ten having used food banks without saying that that's the majority. And yeah. how can anyone be surprised that on that rage meter that you were pointing out earlier that in Ontario it's a 60%. If, I, if I'm growing up in a relatively middle-class uh, family and I'm 30, 35, 40, and now I've got my own family to support, and I can't support them without using the food bank, yeah, it's impossible for me not to be enraged. It's impossible for me not to point fingers. And for those people who are comfortable telling me that I shouldn't behave that way, it's screw you, Jack. Yeah. I'm yeah. not. I'm going to behave any way I want to. I mean, I'm. I'm. I'm now. I'm now a a food bank user. I mean, I see the food bank ads on the on the air all the time. Various companies are behind them, and you know, God bless those companies for getting behind them. But as I look at that, you know, watching a ball game, I totally understand why some people feel that I can't connect with a number of people because I'm comfortable. I'm learning about the food banks not by being at the food banks, but by seeing commercials done by companies that are sponsoring the food banks. And I'm thinking, hey, that's really good. I'm going to support that company. They're doing the right thing. But the larger point is I'm not in touch on an emotional level with the food bank issue. And when Dean Blundell says to me, in Ontario, 60%, three out of every five people in recent years has used a food bank, I'm thinking, holy crow. Yeah. I, that's not an issue that many of us in our mixers, as you put it, are talking about. And we're not talking about it because we're not part of that crew. 
And so here we are living in a country where we grew up feeling that, hey, just about everybody in Canada loves hockey and just about everybody in Canada loves beer and just about everybody in Canada watches certain TV shows. So we always felt that as a country, we were one big, happy family. Sure. How do I look anyone in the eye right now and say Canada right now is one big, happy family? You can't because we're not. And and there's this nationalistic hope that I think a lot of us have. And I don't mean xenophobic. I don't mean nationalistic in terms of Anglo-Saxon views or old stock. Canadian. I don't mean any of those things. Um, I mean, like Canada Day, you know, where people could stand shoulder to shoulder and be proud of where we're from because it's an affordable, um, socially conscious place to live where you can raise a family. You know, we were told you were told I was told growing up, get an education, get a job, do 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 your very best and you will have a great life in this country, you know, and that is no longer the case. And it's not just this country. It is a worldwide epidemic where the distribution of wealth has gone so far to the top that there's nothing left on the bottom. And and it's and it's really, you know, you point out and you can go to the graph of how angry people are where six out of 10 people in the province of Ontario have had to access some type of free food service over the past year. And you see six out of 10 uh, Canadians in, in Ontario are apoplectically angry right now. They're angry because they can't feed their kids. They're angry because they can't afford books for their children. They're angry because they're going to have a terrible Christmas. They're angry because they were sold this dream, sold an idea, and that idea has been slowly pilfered from them over the past I don't know how long. And I mean, this has been coming a long time. And 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 I, I identify with every single Canadian, regardless of where you're from, what you believe, what your ideology is, what your politics are. Because you're a human being, and I'm a human being. And watching human beings suffer is one thing. Watching them be told to be angry about that suffering, who to blame that finger at, who to point that finger at is totally different. And it depends on where you're from and what you believe. That's who you're going to blame. But the truth of the matter is, is that we should all, all of us, 98% of us in this beautiful free country should be not just asking for more while we blame the people that have, you know, raised rent or while we we blame the people who have speculated homes that should be two, three hundred thousand for one point four, one point five million dollars, you know, that have removed rent controls, that have made groceries significantly more expensive. Like a pork chop is something like 30 bucks, you know, in certain grocery stores. I think I paid nine dollars for a stick of butter the other day. And I'm like, what are we doing to us? Like, why is this happening to us? And those are such easy connective tissue issues, kitchen table issues that are being ignored because we're being told to just be angry about it and who we have to blame. And you know what? I, I, I blame us. I blame us yeah. for taking sides that we shouldn't take because 98% of us, if we got on the same side of the ledger, Chuck, Canada would be a happier place because we could all demand what we all were told we could get and were promised as Canadians, which is a, a free, safe, affordable place to live full of people who accepted inclusivity, full of people who understood that we were all running the same race. And that's the part that, leaning into what you're talking about, that's the part that I understand about that rage index. I understand it because I am just as angry as everybody else for the exact same reasons, and it has nothing to do with who you vote for. I wasn't uh, personally all that angry uh, coming into this conversation, but uh, listening to some of your very, very important data, uh, I'm getting there, uh, and I'll get there 
even more in a few days when I want to pick up this conversation again and uh, go to that uh, rage meter and get into it in terms of region by region, Atlantic, Prairie, Ontario, BC, Alberta, what gives? Dean Blundell, thanks for giving us your best as always. My dear friend, always a pleasure. Really appreciate you, Chuck. Thanks for having me. Dean Blundell in uh, Toronto, and we talk to him from time to time, and I don't have to tell you why. You've just discovered why. Uh, He doesn't just have data. Uh, He doesn't just have a very good heart and a very sharp mind. Uh, He has deep insights, uh, the kind that force us to think and rethink everything that we think about in this country and, frankly, everything we think about with respect to ourselves. Thank you for being where you are. I'm Charles Adler.